Japan, Sake and Shochu Makers Association was teamed up with the Association de la Sommelier Internationale, ASI, to expand awareness and understanding of sake and its many facets throughout the world. ASI has members in over 60 countries and provides a forum for sommelier exchange, educational programs, and competitions. The partnership will enable the establishment of a network of active sommeliers interested in sake and will provide opportunities to communicate sake's potential pairings beyond the framework of Japanese food. ASI's General Assembly is held in Nagoya in July of this year. In September, the ASI Boot Camp will be held in Malaysia, and in November, the ASI Best Sommelier Competition for Asia and Oceania will be held in Taiwan. The World Competition will be held in February 2023 in Paris. In the future, JSS will continue to coordinate efforts with ASI providing sake tastings and seminars and events organized by ASI. The people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. Of... Welcome everyone. My name is John Gartner, and thank you for tuning in this time and every time to Sake on Air, the first English podcast dedicated to the expansion of the dialogue surrounding sake, shochu, and awamori, usually brought to you from the offices of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association Information Center in the heart of Tokyo. But for this episode, due to a handful of extenuating circumstances, we are off-site. On-site or off-site, we could not do this without the generous support of that aforementioned Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association, for which we are very grateful. I'll be your host this episode, and I'm joined by two other regular hosts, Chris Hughes and Rebecca wilson Lyme. Good evening, folks. How are you? Good. Hot here in Kyoto. I'm um, dialing in from uh, what is probably about 40-degree heat in um, Kyoto in the Kansai region. Loving every minute of it. And as soon as I get off this um, this podcast, I'm going to probably dive into a bath of sake. <laughs> stay as cool as you can and stay hydrated. Chris, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, it's hot here in Tokyo too. Perhaps not as humid. I'm just cooling down with a nice refreshing junmai from... Uh, from Nagano Prefecture, actually. And um, I was just cataloging my sake collection of all my fridges just a second ago. So. <laughs> fridges as in plural? Yes, I have quite a few fridges because I don't have space for one big one, for a towering big one like the, ah. uh, yeah, I would love one. But um, so I thought it was time to find out what I've actually got uh, chilling away there. Well, let us know how, you, how the cataloging goes later. So welcome to the next installment, by the way, of our Regional Sake Experiences mini-series, in which we cover various sake-significant regions in Japan with the aim of being able to provide listeners with information about the regions, the sake and or the shochu of that region, and suggestions on how to enjoy it all even more when you do eventually visit. In this episode, we'll be talking about Nagano Prefecture. So I'm actually really happy to be able to be talking about Nagano in this, which is for at least for me, the first of these series that I'm doing, because I actually have a role. I've got a lot of connections to Nagano Prefecture, uh, family, <laughs> um, a bunch of stuff. But one of them that is I'm actually, I, it's not a job, but I'm assigned by Nagano Prefecture to be what they call an Oishi Fudo Taishi. And Fudo is a pun that kind of refers to region uh, or the this, this sense of region um, and uh, for, for the sake Nagano Prefecture. So I've done a lot of stuff with them. I'm a judge on their uh, GI panel as well. And I've been to about 33 of the breweries in Nagano. So I know the prefecture pretty well. And I'm really, really happy uh, to be able to, for me, start with Nagano Prefecture as one of the regionals, uh, regional distinction places that we're going to talk about. So very, very basic regional knowledge about Nagano Prefecture. It's in more or less slightly above the middle of Honshu, the main island of Japan. And it's landlocked. It's very landlocked. Um, very, very mountainous, lots of valleys, but it's got no connection to the ocean whatsoever. It does have a nice, big, beautiful lake, Lake Sua, um, in pretty much the middle of the prefecture, but it's got no ocean contact whatsoever. It actually sits right next to and shares a border with a handful of prefectures, but one of them is Niigata Prefecture, uh, which is also, as everyone probably well knows, a very, very famous sake-producing region. Um, together, Niigata and Nagano together are often referred to as the Shinetsu region. And part of that is because the old name 
for Nagata Prefecture was Shinano. And so you see a lot of sake that use the word Shinano in their brand name. Uh, that's because it's referring to the old pre-Meiji era name for the region. So it's a very interesting geographical region. Uh, lots of mountains, lots of valleys, and no ocean whatsoever. One thing, John, I mean, obviously Nagano is a well-known prefecture outside of Japan, especially for sake, but Nagano is actually surrounded by eight different prefectures. So it touches eight different prefectures at different points. So you've got from the east, northeast, you've got Niigata, then down to Gunma, Saitama below that, then moving into Yamanashi, it touches a little bit of Shizuoka, then around a little bit of Aichi as well, then up on the west side, Gifu, and above that, Toyama. So there is a lot of influence, I think, and actually as we get into this, I think as we talk about the different regions of Nagano, I think that some of those um, influences will start to sort of come out a little bit more as well. Mm. It's kind of cool when you get that much border, you're able to touch a lot more prefectures. Um, more related to sake and the basics about the place, uh, it actually has the second highest number of breweries in the entire country. 72 breweries are active in Nagano right now. That's only number two behind Niigata, which has 88, which is right next door. So the whole Shinetsu area together has about 160 breweries between the two of them, to me, which is quite interesting. Um, there's probably a bit of what's the word, margin for error in those numbers, <laughs> depending on how you count them. But either way, uh, there's a whole lot of breweries in Nagano Prefecture. Um, as I've mentioned before, there's lots of, lots of mountains and there's lots of valleys between these mountains. And what's interesting is you've got all these small towns in these valleys between these mountains, and they've all got sake breweries that have been there for hundreds of years that historically catered to the local population. And they've survived this long by catering to the local population. That doesn't mean that they don't get out of those valleys or that other sake doesn't get in, but every township and every valley seems to have a handful of breweries uh, that most of the population has been enjoying uh, for decades and decades, if not centuries. Some of the main regions for production in Nagano Prefecture, and there's a couple I want to touch on, and we kind of have to start with Suwa. Uh, Suwa is a city in pretty much the center or slightly south southern part of the prefecture. Um, and really there's only five breweries in Suwa, uh, but one of them, Masumi, is actually the largest uh, pr uh, producer in the prefecture. Um, certainly there were many, many more a long time ago, but uh, when you get out of Suwa station, you walk and there's four older breweries along a road that eventually leads to a place where you take a right turn and that leads to Masumi. So Suwa is a big producing region. Furthermore, connected to that, just a little bit east and also bordering Lake Stua is Okaya. And in Okaya, there is another four, there are another four breweries there um, that are pretty close to Sua as well. Furthermore, then if you just go a little bit south, you get to a jurisdiction they call Minami Sua and the city of Chino. And there's two more there. So between those three places and the whole region is known as Sua, at least for sake brewing purposes, you have about 11 breweries. And again, that's not a ton across that region. However, you do have Masumi, which is a, a brewer of significant scale, and that pretty much makes it the most significant brewing region in all of Nagano Prefecture. Um, then there are a couple more. Uh, there's Saku. Saku is a city which is due way east <laughs> uh, of Sua. Um, and there are 13 breweries in Saku. And what's really cool is they've actually bonded together really well and call themselves the Saku 13. And there's a lot of well-known and very good breweries in Saku as well. Then when you go north, north in the prefecture, within Nagaro prefecture, you've got Nagaro city. And there's another 14 breweries in that area, um, which actually has a lot of smaller jurisdiction. Then if you were to go a little bit north at the west of, uh, of Sua, you'll run into Matsumoto. And there's 10 breweries more in Matsumoto. Uh, there were, there's one brewery that had two locations that merged into one. Uh, so now there's 10 there. So those are the main producing regions in there. And again, uh, those are just the main ones. The, the other 50 breweries are sort of dotted across small uh, jurisdictions and small cities and small valleys all across Nagano Prefecture. If you drive through there, you constantly see signs for breweries here and there, uh, most of which you don't get to see uh, very often once you leave the prefecture. Uh, next, I would like to talk about rice in Nagano Prefecture. And again, 
Uh, I believe they're number 10 on the list of volume produced uh, every year, which means a lot of rice is more most likely made in the prefecture. So there is a lot of rice grown there, um, but there's a few main types. In other words, it's hard to remember uh, 20 types of rice that might be grown there. Uh, but the main ones, the main sake rice types that are grown in Nagano Prefecture, um, the first one is Miyamanishiki. And Miyamanishiki is actually 70% of all the sake rice grown in Nagano Prefecture. Furthermore, Miyamanishiki is very commonly grown and used sake rice across the northern part of Japan. It's a very robust in the cold weather um, rice, and it's very easy to use in sake brewing. It dissolves well. It gives you a nice broad flavor profile. And it's actually the third most widely grown and used sake rice in the entire country, uh, above and beyond just being from uh, Nagano Prefecture. Uh, then that, so that's number one. The next two to me are, are probably the most interesting. One is Hitokokochi. Uh, and that to me tends to lead to a somewhat soft, broad flavor profile, very gentle. And then Kinmonishiki, uh, which is a bit more umami in my, in my opinion. But those two are, I think, embraced by a lot of breweries. There's a lot of, well, all right, a few breweries that will focus only on Hitokokochi or only on Kinmonishiki. Uh, Hitokokochi is grown in other prefectures in the northern part of Honshu. But I believe that Kinmonishiki is a rice that's only grown in Nagano Prefecture. And then recently, I say recently, but with COVID, it was kind of a time warp. Uh, about yeah, five or six years ago, they developed a rice called Sanke Nishiki. And it was kind of developed with a lot of effort, focusing on a lot of figures of merit. But it's mostly meant to be used for uh, Ginjo and Daiginjo, I believe. However, one brewer, well, all right, the Toji of Masumi, uh, I've heard him say that it's best for the Junmai types. Uh, however, there's a lot of thought that went into it. They put actually a whole lot of thought into the uh, yields, not just what it does in terms of flavor profiles and things like that, the actual yields. In other words, you can get a great sake rice that makes great sake, right? But the seeds don't stay on the stock, right? So when you're harvesting the rice, you end up planting for next year at the same time. I'm being facetious, but the point is, if you've got these seeds falling off, it's really, you're not going to get very high yields. And yields was a big thing that they focused on when developing this, this newish rice called Sanke Nishiki. Can I just add in here about this um, particular rice because it, um, the prefectural government developed it for making ginjo style and it's immediately um, had results. For example, Mikotsuru, which um, I'd love to talk about a little bit later because it's got a little bit of a, a lot of news surrounding it. Mikotsuru um, Brewery, which is also in the Suwa area, um, they won trophy at IWC two years in a row, 2021. And this year they won trophy for the Junmai Ginjo made with San Kenishiki. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's very much suited towards expressive sake. Um, Matsuo is another brewery that immediately embraced. They're not big, but and they don't get out of the country much, maybe not even out of the prefecture much. <laughs> but they embraced San Kenishiki immediately and they won everything in sight the first year that they did that. So uh, that rice holds a lot of potential. So those are the main ones that are grown now. Miyamanishiki, of course, is the, is the biggest, most widely grown. Shitogokochi, Kimonishiki, and San Kenishiki. There's a couple others, one known as Takanenishiki, and the other one was Shirakaba Nishiki. Shirakaba means white oak. And when you get higher into the mountains, uh, you see a lot of white oak uh, trees in that area. And that particular rice grows well at a very high altitude. However, I think that fewer growers are growing it. And it might actually not be around that much longer, uh, according to some rumors that I've heard. But those are the main rice types that are grown in Nagano Prefecture. I am, I'm actually drinking a sake made with Hitoko Kochi rice right at now? the moment yeah pray tell beautiful really what lovely and soft what and robust. so this actually i introduced this in the live stream the other day um this is one of the konna yoruni the on a night like this series from uh kuromatsu senjo senjo shuzo hi, hi. in takato yeah. in takato uh town um which is famous for also for soba i believe the the um shinshu soba it actually comes from uh, Ina or Ine, I think Ine, uh, in Takato. I'm pretty sure famous. you do mean Ina. It's Ina, isn't it? Yeah, it and it's also Ina. famous for a castle as well, I believe. Um, one of is Nagano's right? famous castles. Yeah. So this is the Dia um, 
from the uh, Konna Yoruni uh, series. And if you want to know more about that series, I suggest going back to our live stream. Um, they did talk about it qu in quite a lot of detail. And yeah, this is made 100% with 100% Hitoko Kochi grown in Shinshu. And it's really lovely and soft and, and well-rounded. And, and uh, it just makes for a really pillow soft Junmai. I like that, creamy. pillow soft. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> I would agree with that. In particular, that maybe even Kimonishki lead to that. That's cool. Pillow soft. That's a good descriptor. Uh, moving on from there, I want to talk about uh, yeast very briefly. Um, there's a wide range of yeasts that are used in sake production in Nagano. And a lot of prefectures, as everyone probably well knows, will put a lot of effort into researching yeast uh, for use within a prefecture. Uh, when we think of Nagano and yeast, of course, the first thing we think of is yeast number seven, which was discovered a long, long time ago in the brewery that makes Masumi, Yasaka Jozo, in the city of Suwa. Uh, however, that yeast was immediately taken away and raised <laughs> and distributed by the Jozo Kyoka, the Brewing Society of Japan. And now it's probably still the most commonly used yeast, statistically anyway, uh, in the entire industry. And it's used all over Japan. So while number seven originally came from Nagano, it's not really a Nagano yeast anymore. It's an entire Japan-based yeast. Having said that, very courageously, at the Miyasaka Jozo, the brewers of Masumi, switched absolutely everything they make over to yeast number seven, I believe, two years ago. Um, and the reason I say courageously is because it's not an ostentatious yeast, right? So everything they do, and they used a wide range of yeast, and everything they do now, they need to use their technical skill, which they have plenty of, to make the same yeast. Again, there's variations of it, right? But yeast number seven is used in everything from the, from the Futsushu to the Daiginjo, and they need to tweak it so that it's expressive as it needs to be or as restrained as it needs to be. Um, so that's number seven. The other thing is about yeah, and 20 that's years actually, ago. That was, that was a really cool thing um, that happened in 2019. That was when the switch happened. And you know, I think anyone who has done John Sake course um, but the second year, um, you'll go to Miyazaka Brewery. And I went maybe, gosh, it must have been about eight years ago, nine years ago now, John. And um, at the time, I remember just being a little bit perplexed with this brewery that discovered the most famous sake yeast only had one sake that was made with number seven. And it just it just didn't quite sort of compute. But um, I think that, you know, there was a, a kind of a, um, a sort of a, a renewal within the brewery of like trying to reconnect with their identity and make a sake that really expresses who they are as a brewery rather than making a nationwide sake and so there was mm -hmm. a real um, like back to old school new school kind of approach going back to the past to create sake for the future and the new lineup is just fantastic it's every year you know it's, it's clearly a work in progress as you say John they're clearly tweaking the brewing process to get the most out of the yeast and the rice and you know it's a really it's a really wonderful um journey to go with the brewery and experience each year's vintages because it's um it's really something that i think is probably going to continue evolving over the next decade yeah i agree it's it's uh oh uh yeast number seven is actually a fairly restrained yeast right it's got a nice acidity but you don't get a ton of fruit coming out of it um most of the time anyway but if you're skilled enough, you can <laughs> you can coax anything out of a good yeast, and they seem to have done that. And to me, to add to what you've said, is uh, in the early 90s or mid-90s, Nagano Prefecture developed a range of yeasts that they referred to as the Alps yeasts. Uh, I believe there's about three of them. Um, and although they have, I guess mutated is the right word, but to me, they've become a lot more restrained than they used to be. And maybe it's just the way brewers are using them. Uh, but Masumi used a lot of them, some of their, high, their, their, their most visible products, Sanka and Yume Dono, uh, would be very, very expressive of modern aromas. And they did that through the, by, by using the Alps yeasts. And now they've gone back to seven, um, even for those products. Uh, however, <laughs> we don't want to be too, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Complimentary of Masumi here, talking about yeast again, a lot of breweries still do use um, a range of yeasts that are much more aromatic and expressive, known as the Alps yeast. And again, I believe there's three of those, um, all slightly different. So those are the yeast contributions or the yeast, uh, the various yeasts that are used in Nagano Prefecture. Uh, in terms of the style of sake, and again, this will vary from person to person. So 
If you guys have opinions of your own, please do share them. But to me, overall, Nagano tends to be soft and slightly sweet, um, which is a healthy contrast with the very, very dry sake of Niigata Prefecture, which is right next door. I think they're both quite refined. Um, but I think overall, I see a lot more slightly sweet sake from Nagano, which is, again, a very good and direct uh, comparison with Niigata right next door. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I, would, I definitely agree. Definitely that soft, like, um, was, uh, very round body. Um, and that's definitely, I think, the body of the water. You really get a sense of that wonderful water from, um, from Nagano and, and the mouthfeel. Um, I feel like um, it's, it's sweet. Well, it's, it's got a, a richness as well for me, um, kind of with, with maybe saying different things like kokugaru, like it's got a sweetness, but it's got a, a richness to it. And then I often find that it's got this, um, there's a, a the acidity and a, there's it's a, kind of like a, a little bit of a sharp acidity. Sometimes that's because of the miyamanishiki, I think, because I think miyamanishiki sometimes lends itself to sort of a slightly um, sharpish, sharpish finish. And then mm. also some kind of like I get a little bit of bitterness as well, um, just like like a lovely bitterness, like that really is a great um, counterpoint to that inherent um, sweet richness. In the end, there's almost like a minerality or like a little cubaceousness in the after um, taste, which for me is really Nagano style. I, I 100% agree with that. I always associate Miyamanishiki with this sharp like finish like i often say it's like going like a down like a dark tunnel um and uh, yes definitely there's a richness there and i would just say i think naganosaki is typical of a landlocked uh region where the food is where the sake is actually being produced to um pair with the food which is going to tend to be quite rich you know meat dishes because you know you're in the mountains um as opposed to sort of being nearer the sea you know which is the case with niigata perhaps a really good case in point is um, a brewery, well, a, a, a label called Hako Masamune, which is in the Nakano area, which is which is which touches Niigata to the the northeast, and like this is a, a great label, really consistent. It's actually the brewer's around about I think it's only about thirty eight, um, making consistently really good sake, but it's light, crisp, and clean. It's got a little bit of that roundness and softness um, and sweetness and gentle umami that we associate with Nagano, but it's it's really much much crisper than any most other sake that I've um, drunk in the Nagano region. And um, like the the young brewers using all um, like locally grown rice, all Nagano strains. Um, so it's it's really kind of interesting if you compare um, Hako Masamune with um, a brewery, um, for example, in a more, um, it's a little bit further south than that, for example, in the in the Nagano, like city area, Nagano area, there is a brew, John, which you'll be quite familiar with, which is um, Shusen Kurano, which is quite famous for the Genbu label. Um, it's made by female uh, Kuramoto Toji. Now that is really quite rich. It's sake that is, you know, designed for aging. It's really punchy, like 18 to 19% ABV. Like it's really bang, bang. And so it's, and that, that, area um, where the um, brewery is, is much further away from the coastline it's higher up in the mountains and I think when you start getting into the sort of the higher deep mountain areas people were traditionally probably eating much more meat like game meat um, they were eating a lot more river fish which um, usually are sort of simmered and, and soy sauces um, they're eating a lot more sort of uh, richer proteins. And so I think traditionally they went for a much more punchy and more bang for your buck kind of flavor profile. And they're also procuring it with salt as well. They're procuring the food when they carry it over right. the mountains with salt. So that's one reason why the sake in Nagano tends to be um, a little on the sweeter side, perhaps. Um, I will also say that if you really want to taste the difference between uh, the cuisine in Nagano and Niigata, just try the nabe. Uh, Nagano actually has this uh, quite um, unique nabe, um, which they make with um, a kind of um, a condiment, I suppose you might refer to it, called yomeshu. Um, and you can actually find this quite easily if you go to like a, a, a Nagano um, antenna or satellite shop. And it's got a bit of a sake taste to it as well. 
Um, but it's very rich and very quite a strong flavor and really just tells you the, the sort of cuisine that they eat in Nagano. Hmm. And then also another another thing is like remember how we we're just talking before about how the the prefecture is bordered by eight prefectures. Um, it's it's interesting like geographically. Um, you know, I always say that you know even or actually John, you taught me this. It's like think of a map of Japan, and that's going to give you a ballpark estimate of kind of what the flavor profile is going to be like traditionally in that region. It's going to be seventy percent. You know, it's not going to be exactly right all the time, but, you know, 70%, you'll, you know, you'll kind of get an, a, a pretty good idea of the sort of the, 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 the body, the weight, the, um, the richness, um, the finish of a sake based on its geographic region. And for example, another um, good example of this is in the Ina re region, which is to the west of Sua, um, there's a, um, a brewery called Yonezawa Shuza, which makes Imanishiki. And they make a really kind of aromatic style, um, really kind of soft, light, uh, soft, delicately rich with really aromatic um, notes. And then it's kind of got a dry, clean finish very much like Shizuoka sake and that region Ina touches Shizuoka and Yamanashi to the south so it's it's kind of like when I look at maps of regions that I go to it's really interesting to sort of try the sake in the region and then look at where those breweries are placed on a map and and sort of start to sort of create a roadmap of flavor profiles um, for each region you drink in. Yeah that is quite fun isn't it? Well it's still relevant can I just add about Yamanashi they have a really lovely brewery um they're not the easiest brewery to access so i don't know if it's such a good recommendation for this particular podcast but if you can get in a taxi perhaps i think from the nearest station you can reach it in about 10 or 20 minutes and out of all the breweries that i visited not just in nagano um, but it's what got one of the most beautiful vistas that you can see from their their viewing deck which they've had newly um built uh, they're, they're basically being supported by the local um, gelatin canten maker um, who's kind of took over the company and is running the company to an extent, but they've done a really good job in fitting it out for tourism. And, and, and they definitely are open to tourism. So if you can get it, you know, in a taxi or a, a bus and get down there, I'm sure you'd be very welcome. I don't think 10 or 15 minutes of the taxi is too much. That's a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah. But while it's difficult for people to enter Japan, this may change by the time people listen to this podcast. You know, the situation may have improved. But um, the brewery exports. Um, and I know that um, Imanishiki is really popular in Taiwan, for example, and um, Hong Kong as well. It's um, quite a popular label. So um, while if you can't get into Japan for a while, um, you know, a lot of these breweries that we're talking about will be exporting. So you can, if, until you get here um you can definitely support the breweries um by seeking out some of their sake overseas yeah and i i thoroughly recommend it because it's it's got a lovely umami to imanishiki which which you you perhaps don't find in some of the other um sake, not, you know generally you don't find some of the other sake in nagano prefecture which i thought was quite notable um but yeah and just to point out we'll hopefully we can maybe have him on the podcast at some point but there is actually a a guy from new zealand actually working working there at that brewery um, is he brewing running, or is he uh, a bit? Doing... He does a bit of brewing as well. Yeah, he he has to kind of help with everything because, uh, um, as he told me, it's kind of one of those breweries where everyone kind of does everything. You know. They're, they're well, if he's if he's stuff. if he's from New Zealand, we're probably related, so I should probably. I would check think so. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I would think so. We have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. As of June thirtieth. Japanese shochu can be sold without a hard liquor license in New York State as long as it is 24 ABV or below. After over three years working with the state legislature and the IRS, and in cooperation with the Japanese Food and Restaurant Association among others, JSS is excited to announce this change in the law. To celebrate, JSS will be holding a tasting event in New York on the 3rd of November with shochu distilleries from Japan, and will be inviting members of the Japanese Restaurant Association, other restaurateurs, distributors, bar staff, influencers, and others. JSS will also be sponsoring a cocktail week and an authentic shochu and awamori month with Japanese restaurants in New York. Bolstered by this success, JSS is also looking to work with the California legislature to enact a similar change in the Golden State. Now, back to the show. 
The next thing we'd like to talk about are suggestions for sake-related or sake peripheral experiences in Nagano Prefecture. And one of them is probably if you think Nagano, you kind of have to talk about this, although it's not too tightly connected with sake. Then again, just about everything is, is the Ombashira Festival, which takes place every six or seven years, depending on how you count it. Um, and they just had it in April. So this festival won't take place until 2027, I think. Um, however, what this is all about is they go up to a mountain and there's a very famous Shinto shrine called Sua Taisha, which is in Sua. And they need to rebuild the pillars or hashira in that shrine. So they go up, up on the mountain and they chop down four ideal specimen cedar trees, uh, sugi trees, uh, to bring down the mountain and rebuild the shrine. Uh, and they'll parade it through the town and stuff once they get down there. But they don't just carry it down. They ride these huge logs all the way down. Uh, and people get on them and ride them down. And there have been known to be an injury and things like that. Um, but this festival, which is very, very rowdy, uh, takes place um, every six years. So if you do want to see it, I think you're going to have to wait until 2027 to catch the next one. Um, but whether you view it at the top where they're cutting down the trees or when they're parading it through the streets, you can trust that you'll be tasting a lot of sake uh, at the next Ombashina festival. It's a very, very big thing. Oh, I didn't realize it was so infrequent. I was really looking forward to checking that out in the, in the near Sorry future. Sorry to let you down. <laughs> My God, I just missed it. Damn. Yeah. That looks like uh, so much fun. I mean, talk about making work fun. Yeah. <laughs> and a bit dangerous. And a bit dangerous. <laughs> yeah, very dangerous too. Apparently, they count the year that it happens twice. In other words, I don't know if there's a middle of the whatever. They count it as, as, as the first year, but then they count it as the, the last year too. And so they say every seven years, but it ends up actually being every six. Uh, so you probably shouldn't have to wait until 2028. You should be able to catch it in 2027. So, um, the next thing, and again, a lot of things have been canceled by COVID, is a really big prefectural tasting called Nagano Sake no Messe. Um, and they do it in Nagano City. They do it in Tokyo and they do it in Osaka. However, it's been suspended due to COVID and I have not heard when they're going to pick it up again. But when this does pick up again, it's just outstanding. I mean, you've got 70 breweries with all their wares to taste from. And it's just a great, 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 very professional tasting. It's not a party. Uh, I mean, you can, you know, drink it and make it a party. But if you want to do a very serious tasting uh, of Nagano Prefecture Sake, uh, it's really, really a great one. Um, and John, while sadly the Nagano Sake Mise has been suspended um, uh, just two weeks ago, so that was July 28th, um, there was the GI Nagano Sake Mise in Yokohama. So I think that is in its third year now. They're really making a, a point of um, promoting the GI, um, the GI for Nagano um, at events now and it seems like this is going to be their one of their big annual events the difference between this and the nagano sake mise is that not all of the breweries is there i think because you have to um serve sake which um follows the gi um standards but um i was just there two weeks ago and tried some really amazing sake um as we were saying before like the flavor profile it's you know, there's so there are so many different flavor profiles in Nagano. It's it's really kind of like a journey doing one of the tastings. So it was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's another good tasting too. Uh, I'm sorry I missed that one, but I know I'll catch it again in the near future. Another thing that does exist is something called the Kurabito Stay, uh, which is an opportunity that there's a brewery in Saku, and I don't know if it's one brewery or if it's a separate facility or if they pass it across each other. Um, where you can stay one night like a hotel, but you work in the sake brewery at the time. However, you can be you can be, you can be a sake brewer for a night, but this has been suspended too, and I haven't heard any notice of when they'll pick that up. But that to me, it sounds like a great uh, tourism event. Um, another thing is that a lot of breweries have museums, and they might not be huge, complicated museums, you know, just old tools and places to shop and buy sake. Um, so again, when you go into various places like in Saku, there's Kitsukura, which is a producer that makes Kikuhide. Um, uh, Masumi's got a great one in Sua. So various places, if you go into the regions in the countryside in Nagano, uh, be sure to look at the, the local tourist stuff because I think a lot of breweries have uh, just simple museums that you can drop in and check stuff out. So there's plenty to see related to sake just because there's so many breweries all over the prefecture. So check that out as well. 
Can I give a shout out? It's not sake related, but can I give a shout out to the Hokusai Kan Museum in Obuse? If you're yeah, going to go and do. visit, you know, if you go to Obuse, actually, I mean, it's another great area to go and visit sake breweries. You have um, uh, a number of sake breweries in that area. And um, at the same time, yeah, you can pop into the Hokusai Kan Museum, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And the Americans that I, I was, I was helping out with the tour as an interpreter and the Americans that I would, were with spent, I think, close to an hour in the gift shop. So <laughs> if you go there, perhaps you could go there for the gift shop alone. It seems to be quite alone, that's enough. Huh? Well, speaking of things sort of a little bit crafty and, and, um, and gifty, um, I think it's also quite a nice thing to, when you're in the area, when you're in Nagano, maybe for sake of tourism, um, to look at some of the local crafts because you know, Nagano is a, as you'll notice when you go to Nagano, it's um, a forest-filled area. Um, forestry is um, a really important part of the traditional industry um, in, in um, Nag- economy, sorry, in Nagano. And the Kiso area is actually a major um, production area for um, lacquerware or irushimono, which is a dying art. Um, it's uh, one of Japan's most incredible um, crafts and it is one that requires an enormous amount of skill. And the artisans are sadly becoming older and there aren't enough, you know, aren't new people coming through to learn the um, irushimono um, craft skills. So if you're in Nagano, I would really recommend looking out for some locally made um, lacquerware, you know, getting a lovely, um, you know, sake set um, to take home with you. I think that's a really nice way to um, enjoy your sakes with some local crafts from the region. One more thing to check out when you get there. Um, another place to check out that's also fairly easily accessible is Miyasaka Jozo, who we've mentioned many times thus far in this, in this podcast, uh, the Brewers of Masumi, um, have made a nice shop in the front part of their, uh, of their brewery called Maano, Cellar Masumi. Um, and it's interesting because they've always had a small shop up there, but there's a hill, a down, at the, what do you call it? A downward slope in front of the brewery. And about 10 or 15 years ago, a truck was coming down the road, down the hill, and the brakes failed. And it slammed right in front of the brewery and just completely destroyed the whole front part of the brewery, which is the shop. Thankfully, nobody, not even the driver, was hurt, which is kind of miraculous. But Masumi turned that around, or Miyasaka Jozo turned that around and, and made something good out of it. They've got a beautiful shop. It's not really a museum, but they've got a beautiful shop that sells all kinds of things. And you can taste sake there. And they've got a, a wide range of sake available and every all kinds of wonderful sake toys, uh, cups, local artist work, uh, just magazines, so much beautiful stuff. And that really is uh, a great place to do some sake shopping uh, if you're in that area. Speaking of um, that area, actually, I kind of can I segue because right actually in Chino City, you're talking about in Sua. There's, um, you know, if you go a little bit south of Sua, there's a city called Chino City. You were saying that before, John, right? There is one of my most favorite restaurants in Japan. I often say that the best food in Japan is outside of Tokyo and Kyoto. And this restaurant, um, uh, Mumio, is like, honestly, Chef's Kiss, one of the great restaurants um, in Japan. I'm not gonna, I'm not surprised if it doesn't start getting international accolades like stars and and um, and ranking and World's Best 50. It really is an extraordinary restaurant. It's, um, uh, I guess, uh, Mumio is to Sua what Noma is to Copenhagen. It's one of these, um, one of these restaurants that's, got its basis in traditional cuisine um, but the the young chef returned to Nagano to create um, an expression of Nagano prefecture and he uses like very common local ingredients to make absolutely exquisite food um, he forages in the mountains for mountain herbs and local farmers and hunters supply him with his produce and actually every day he mills his own rice to serve at the end in a donabe pot. Um, and at that restaurant, you can also enjoy an enormous um, range of sake from local producers. 
and you can also enjoy it with all of this or the plateware or the ceramics um, is all made by local artisans so it's really one of the most if you want to go to, and really just treat yourself I'd really recommend going to um, Mumio it's a transformative experience and where is it in Chiro station that's my local station actually it's um yeah, it's an um, it's a two minute walk from the east exit of JR Chino Station. Oh my god, oh, <laughs> too, right it's too good. Yeah, it's too good. Right there. Go. Glutamate tourism. It's got to happen. But if if we're talking about food, we really have to talk about soba, don't we? I mean, soba. Yes. And yeah, I was going to move into food next. I, I mentioned <laughs> shinshu soba earlier. Is there is there a better? A better well, soba. No, shinshu soba just refers to all of it, right? So, in other words, yeah. If you get off at, again, Chino, and you go up into the mountains, again, this is where I I'm a, I got a house up there. There's something called the uh, the Soba Kaido, <laughs> and it's all Shinshu Soba, right? Uh, and so there, it's just all the, the Soba that's grown around there. And you've got some really, a lot of attention to detail, guys that grow their own their own Soba uh, and make it right there in the restaurant. So there, there's a, I don't know, there's got to be 15 or 20 of them on the way up. Uh, so I think, I think... Shinshu soba just refers to the soba of the general region. Uh, yeah, um, so I think right. anything there, unless they're making it, going out of their way to make it in a different style, would be shinshu soba. Back in Sua, sorry, Sua, Sua is getting a lot of promos here, but yeah, back are, in they? Sua, um, there's a, uh, my favorite soba shop in Nagano is called Kajin Kajin An, and they now this is a great place to go to try Nagano sake because they have handmade tri-color soba so the three different types of soba that you can well that are commonly made in in nagano one is uh the shirashina which is double milled so it's just the, the white part of the buckwheat and that's the white colored noodle and then you have the more common um seido which is a mix of the first first polished um, buckwheat and um double polished um buckwheat and so that's kind of got a, a soft sort of brownie color and it's got a lovely nuttiness to it. And then you've got inaka soba, which is they're just the buckwheat that's been um, like milled once. So it's got a kind of a, it's probably like 90% of the um, original buckwheat remains. So that's got a very, um, it's got a very, um, very nutty, very um, toothsome um, flavor. So if you want to try, you know, the three different kinds of sake that are commonly served in um, the Nagano area. Um, Kajin and Insua is a is a great place to go. You mean soba, right? The three different types of soba. What did I say? Sake. Sake. Oh, <laughs> sake in the brain. You got sake in the brain. We know what you mean. It doesn't though. matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we know what you meant. <laughs> That's because I was wanting sake, so I was saying sake. <laughs> I had a great soba, although I won't say this was a very gourmet experience, but I think if you just want, you know, like a cheap sober experience, I had a really good sober experience in um, Ueda city, uh, very near the castle, um, which is actually a location you can visit another sake brewery. Um, soba Kusabue, uh, it's called. Very old, very old uh, soba restaurant. Very simple as well. Walk in, you know, sit down, order your soba, nothing special, full of locals. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. And Orcas and, and Ueda, Ueda City in general is just a fantastic place just for a day out. The you know, the old streets, um, like you get in Gifu as well, those beautiful, yes, Jap beautiful. old Japanese streets. At night, it's really photogenic. If you want an Instagram photograph of your time in Nagano, just head to Ueda, Ueda City. It's so easy to get to. One, one ride on the Shinkansen from uh, Tokyo Station or Ueno. Uh, it's really, really easy to get to. Not far, about one hour and a half from uh, the center of Tokyo. And there is a brewery there, Okazaki Shuzo, um, where a female toji works. And, and I'm not sure about how open they are to visitors. So please, please check that on their website. But um, yeah, it's a great place. Kirei is the brand name, by the way. Yes, Kirei is the Kirei. brand name. Yeah. yeah oh, so Kirei is... Kirei Benham. So it's actually the name is Shin, uh, is Shinshu Kirei, right? Yes, Shinshu it is. Kirei, yeah. right? It is. And so that's that's the other. So there are two female Kuramoto Toji in Nagano, and um, that I mean that is just 
Kire by name. Kire means the kanji is different, but if you say it, it sounds like beautiful. And she is an absolute beautiful woman and a beautiful brewer. She makes the most gorgeous sake. Her name is um, Midori Okazaki. Midori, yeah, and she grows her own rice as well in the That's off, right. in the off That's uh, right. season. And she's she's amazing. And you've got to visit Ueda Castle. If you go to Ueda City, you've got to visit Ueda Castle. It has a very significant role in history as far as, well, defending Nagano and, and um, just it's a, actually there's quite a lot of the castle left over as well remaining. And um, I enjoyed um, what can only be described as a very frenetic uh, ninja performance in front of the castle gates. Uh, which I which which I I remember fondly. I don't know if that's there all the time, but um, yeah, a fantastic place to go and visit. I think uh, one thing that's overlooked is I know Okaya, which is right next to Sua, uh, a little bit just uh, west of it. Actually, has a lot of really good unagi restaurants, um, which I'm really really fond of. But I think it just gets overlooked because it's <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere, and people don't really expect to find good unagi there. But there's a lot of really good unagi there as well. And the other thing. And as plebeian as it is, I just spend a lot of time in Nagano. But oyaki, basically just steamed buns with miso or beans or, or, or uh, vegetables called nozawana. Man, those things are really, really delicious. And you can get really flaky ones. Flaky meaning the, the, uh, the, the dough itself is flaky. You can get really, really soft ones, almost like a pasta texture. Um, and I just love those things. And again, they're plebeian. And everybody's got their own recipe. And, and they come out different in every family. But I really, really love... Uh, Nagano Oyaki as well. Mm. Is, that, is that street food, John? Is that something where you can just kind of, you know, be walking along and then there's like a little um, van selling them? Or in in like a sense, that? for example, if you drive there, if you stop at a rest area, there's always an Oyaki shop or seven. <laughs> and any, any uh, in that area, any gift shop or any convenience store will definitely have Oyaki in there. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, you know, it's not really vendors on the street anymore. But it's the same thing. It's pretty much street food because you can get it anywhere, uh, and they're they're dirt cheap, and I could eat them pretty much forever. So, <laughs> um, does anyone else want to add anything more about food? Yeah, I I I would just like to add, you know, because I thought my experience was pretty pretty um, memorable at Masuichi's um, Mas, Mas, Masuichi's um, Masuichi Ichimura Shuzo's Kyakuden. Um, restaurant. Um, they have a hotel and then they also have a restaurant as well. I think the name of the restaurant is actually um, a little bit different. Yeah, I think um, it is too, I, because I've been there. I can't remember, but it's called I did else. write it down. It's Obuse Kurabu. Obuse Kurabu. That's that Kurabu, Kurabu. Yeah. Right. And I might be remembering this wrong, but I seem to remember there being a massive kiyoke uh, barrel in the restaurant, maybe at the back of the restaurant. You know, that wouldn't surprise me because the woman that used to work there, Sarah, yeah. uh, what's, uh, yeah, her, what's I, her surname? I, I actually met her, one of the first people, one of the first foreigners working in, in the sake industry I met in Japan when I first came to Japan. She was doing a seminar in Tokyo. Wonderful right. lady. She told Sarah, me a Sarah story. Marie Cummings is her name. That's right. Um, yeah. And uh, she is the one that started this revival at least she, one revival. She she gave them the idea, right? She was like, "This well, is she this started is just." It. I mean, that, that company yeah. started. And they actually promoted. It. They put together a group of, I believe, ten breweries that started something called Oke Etone, Oke Oke, and and that started uh, at least that group of breweries. I believe there are about ten of them. All started to use, I don't know, kioke wooden wooden tanks. Uh, obviously, other other brewers did as well. Um, and I think she 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 doesn't work there anymore. Uh, and I think that that group kind of drifted a bit once uh, her leadership wasn't part of the program anymore, but the movement carried it on. But so my point is, it wouldn't surprise me at all <laughs> yeah. if there was a huge wooden OK up there. And and another great brewery, actually, it's not food related, but I'll just before I forget that there's a very small brewery that often gets overlooked when people visit Opposite, I think, called Matsu Baya. And they actually, Matsubaya Shuzo, and they actually make this brand called Hokushinyu. And what's unique about them is that they age their namazake. That's their big, you know, uh, USP. They like to age their namazake. Something to do with the water that enables them to age it without it actually kind of going south. But some of the, a great experience. They, they do this big tasting with all the different uh, aged sake, most of them for Tsushu as well. And um, it's quite easy to access from Masuichi. So you can kind yeah, of do right two there, breweries. Right next door. Yeah. yeah. 
two breweries in one day, then go to the restaurant, go to the Hawkside Museum, then go to the restaurant at night. Uh, and it's like a little resort town as well, the, the area that the brewery is located. Uh, with, with not so many hotels, um, that's a bit of a, a problem, but plenty of, plenty to do. And, and it's close to Obisay Station, so it's quite easy well, to I've, do for I've it. actually got a recommendation that is a, a little bit of a resort village that uh -huh. is encompasses almost everything that we've been talking about, uh, which is Hoshin, Hoshinoya which is in Karuzawa. And this is a, a beautiful, a beautiful lodge resort um, in the Kitasaka region. And I was lucky enough to spend sort of the end of my New Year's holiday um, there just before COVID hit. And it is the most um, zhuzhi, um sake experience you can ever have. It's uh, basically, you can go to this um, beautiful resort and you can have both external and internal sake therapy. <laughs> Let me explain that because this is, this is a, this resort, it's designed like a little village and there's this beautiful river that runs through it. And the whole philosophy behind the, this um, resort is kind of meant physical, mental sort of reset, you know, to go and recharge um, your, yourself, um, you know, to sort of get healthy, to rest and relax um, and forget the sort of the, the busyness and the stress of modern, um, modern daily life. And a lot of the therapy is sake related. So for example, while I was there, I had um, a, a meditation that that ended with a warm sake then I had a massage with um with massage oil made from sake leaves um and then I had a nice soak in a sake bath and then um they gave me all sorts of um like therapies like skin therapies made with um that are based on koji rice which is known for its kind of whitening and brightening effects and then um um the sort of internal sort of medicine part of it is you, um, of course, drinking sake, um, but also sake um, is part of the food that they um, make. So they're like beautiful nabes that are made with um, sake. They use all locally um, gathered ingredients and local produce and sake kasu, um, uh, sake, like the nuka from the rice, um, sake is all included within the this like Kyoto or regional cuisine that they make. And it's this sort of like 360 full body sake experience. It is really quite glorious. Sounds amazing. Is there a story behind the link with sake? Are they, you know, the people who are running it, do they are they just fans of sake? Well, Hosh Hoshinoya is a very famous um resort, um, and Japanese resort group. And what they always do is they always try to um, celebrate the identity of each region that they're in. And of course, Nagano's, um, Nagano's is such, uh, you know, known is known in Japan for its beautiful natural environment, its beautiful produce, also its incredible sake. So these things are all kind of like, you know, pretty obvious things that they would connect with, but they've just done it in such a lovely way. Like it's just really cool. Like I got because all of the rooms, there are no rooms, are little houses that are along a little river. And so when I got back to my room after dinner, after drinking quite a little sake, there was a sake bath waiting for me. And this big site, you know, outdoor looking over the river, as like the cypress wood bath. And it was heat like heated um spring water and that added sake to it it was honestly it was glorious <laughs> I'm sure you slept very very well that night like <laughs> a dream like a dream just to wrap up tonight why don't we talk about some of the sake we've talked about a bunch of them uh that we would like to recommend some of our favorites uh and then we will wrap up the discussion and i got a prefecture having armed our listeners with lots of good information about what to do and what to drink when you're there so who would like to start to talk about their favorite sake from Nagano? Can I jump in? Because we didn't talk about this brewery yet. And actually, it's another brewery which you could visit as well. I think they are open to visitors. And you could actually even join their Bijokai club and actually make sake with the brewery if you're going to spend an extended time in Japan. And that's Kurosawa Shuzo in Saku. Um, quite easy to get to. They're, they're about five-minute walk from Yachio Station, which is... Uh, accessible via the local line from Sakudaida, which is a major Shinkansen 
station. So quite easy to get to. They make the brands uh, Izutsucho, uh, Maru, Maruto, and Yukiguni. Probably you're more likely to see Maruto and Yukiguni, I think, outside Nagano. Uh, I love their sake. Fantastic brewery, always innovating. What's the company name? It's Kurosawa Shuzo. They also make a sake called Kurosawa. Yeah. Yeah, it's written in Hiragana. Kuro, Kurosawa is the Kimoto. They're yes. Kimoto specialists. So, yeah. So, so. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. curiously well available in the United States. It's very well distributed. Yeah, they, ex- they export. They export, a, they export a bit, don't they? Yeah, I don't yeah, Which is great. They're pretty good with their social media, actually, as well. I see it more outside of Japan than inside. <laughs> is there anything else you want to recommend? Yeah, I've got one that's actually um, Chris was talking about Obuse before, and one of my favorite, it's it's definitely very boutique and very, very hard to buy, even in Japan, is of course um Abuse Winery's um Soga Padafir. So Abuse Winery is like a small Burgundy style, like Domine um like winery. And they make, I suppose you could call it natural wine because all of they don't use any additives. They use all organic grapes. And actually the, the winery is 100% solar powered now. So it's um, a very small, very boutique wine producer. But they also have, and the brewer says it's kind of a hobby, so he, which is a pretty amazing hobby. But they also have a very, very small production of um, sake, which is, again, like their grapes. It's all organically grown um, rice. They only use Yamanishiki. All of their sake is kimoto, and um, it's it's I think I guess it's because the um, the kimoto process does create kind of that a juicy almost wine like um, acidity in the resulting sake, which sort of sort of makes sense for a winery to brew a sake in that style. Um, now they've got a, a very even within their very very limited production and very hard to buy um, sake range. They do have an even more limited edition range of um, sake, which is made with yeasts one to nine. So it starts off at un and it goes through to, hang on a second, I've forgotten what what nine is in French. Chris? Neuf, 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 I think it is. It yeah. goes to neuf, I'm pretty sure. I remember and some French. <laughs> yay! I forgot the three years that I studied. But um, that's often, you know, it's, well, it's really hard to get. So often like a, um, a, a sake, sake sommelier or a sake shop will have like a like an invitation only like dinner event where everyone can try um, each of the um, different yeasts. So the polishing rate, the production method, everything is the same except for the yeast. And like you never see a sake made with number one or number two, number three, number four, or number five yeast. But you can in this lineup, and it's really, really interesting. You kind of understand why number one to number five aren't being used <laughs> largely in production, but it's really interesting, and it's it's amazing that this brewer has got this this hobby and interest and creates this you know really fantastic sake. So, um, a Boise winery, um, Dom- Domaine Soga Soga Per um, Pierre Effil is a real niche one to look out for now one thing when you're in abuse if you take a bottle of abuse wineries wine or sake to any of the restaurants in abuse you have free corkage cool inside a tip inside a tip that's very cool uh there are actually a bunch of them that i wanted to name very briefly just to give people who would be near nagano and interested in some shopping uh, something to do uh, something to look for. And of course, we talked about Masumi, who is probably the largest producer there. Um, and again, anything they make is outstanding. There's a, uh, another brewery in Matsumoto called Daishinshu, which is medium-sized. Love, love, love. Yeah, Daishinshu is a great brewery. They really, really are. They're very, very solid, very, very solid core. Um, Daiseke is another big one that makes a lot of namazake. They're very well distributed. Uh, then um, Kitsukura, which is in Saku, is another brewery that's pretty visible. Some smaller ones are Takizawa, uh, one I like a lot, which is Sawanohana, which is in... Yeah, that's good. Kamino mm-hmm. Umi is also very good, also in Saku. Um, in the southern part of the country, you, uh, the prefecture, you've got Nanawarai and Misuzu. Uh, Misuzu. Um, and then Koten and Miwatari are both in Okaya, right next to Suwa. Then some smaller ones that are really hidden. 
is one's called Sekizen, and they use only Hanakobo, only flower yeast. Um, there's another one called Matsuo, which uses maybe exclusively Sankei Nishiki, but definitely a lot of it. Um, and then one I'm really, really fond of is called Mizuo. And it's really subtle. And I think that's why I like it. Um, Iwashi Mizu is another one that I like a lot that's kind of gamey and gets your attention. Uh, Meikyo Shisui is another one in Saku that's delicious. Shinano Tsuru is very small. They do only Junmai, very, very dense, um, good acidity to it. Uh, and then one called Kisoji, which is in the Kiso region. And again, it's a, it's a, a, a woman is running the company, although she... Uh, married the toji from another brewery who's now the toji there <laughs> uh, but they're making really good a lot of yamahai kind of rich sake um and the brewery's fairly close to gifu so those are a handful of names amongst the other what other what did i say 72 or 82 <laughs> that are there that you can start to check out if you get a chance to poke around that region um if you are into additional information about nagano prefecture breweries there are a couple of english websites if you were just look up Nagano Sake, they would pop up. But just to let you know, if you can listen to this, it's www.nagano-sake.or.jp slash en slash. And one more. And again, these are good sites in English. Another one is nagano-sake.or.jp slash breweries slash. Uh, and there's a lot of good information in English about the breweries that are there. So be sure to check those out. Uh, when you get a chance. Anyone have any last comments before we wrap this up? Drink Nagano Sake. Thank you. Please do it. <laughs> Please do enjoy it. Okay. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Chris. That will do it for this episode of Sake on Air. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting and educational. Please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using to enjoy Sake on Air. Please feel free to send us any comments or questions to questions at sakeonair.com or at sakeonair via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can always find us there as well. Sake on Air is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. And the show is a co-production effort between Export Japan and Podscape Productions with audio production by Mr. Frank Walter. That will do it for this show. And until next time, Stay well and come by.